0: Hello, welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I am one of your co-hosts. I use they/she pronouns. I am a Cancer. Um, I mm, 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 what else? What else? Oh, I'm a booktuber. Find me on YouTube, Sunny Book Nook. And I'm also tired. And also today is folklore anniversary, the day that we're recording. So very exciting.
1: Hello, my name is Renaissance Maria. I'm the other co-host of the Lavender Menace podcast. I use they, she pronouns. I am finally out of my triple employment era, but soon to be returning. So back to just double employment currently. I am paid because today's payday. Slay. that's really it. Oh, oh, actually. Real news, I'm in my reputation streaming era, for those of you keeping track of my various streaming Taylor Swift eras. And it's a real standout album. Um, And maybe later on a later episode, we'll talk about it. But we also have a special guest today for today's episode. I'll let them introduce themselves.
2: Hi, hello. Um, My name is Noor. I'm 19, I'm a Palestinian. Palestinian lesbian and my pronouns are z they she but I prefer uh people who aren't close or aren't my friends not to use she her pronouns my my gender is still kind of like uh, a journey for me I don't really align with gender I guess but yeah I um I'm a film lover I enjoy MILFs as per usual as everyone does and yeah I'm very patriotic I love Palestine and it comes before anything regarding my identity so yeah Yeah.
1: love it and I'm very happy to have another MILF lover on the podcast someone from my particular background on Regarding that on on this podcast,
0: yeah, um,
1: so Sunny, would you like to get into the hot take for today?
0: Yes. So every episode we have three parts to this podcast. Um, initially, we discuss a hot take, usually submitted by one of you, our dear listeners, and then we talk about a piece of media that we've all consumed together, and then we recommend media to each other. So for today's hot uh, hot take, someone named they're um, their listener. Uh, he sent a, some meme posts to us or to me, sorry. We don't have like a joint Instagram account, which is good. Um, <laughs> uh, because our joint Twitter is already kind of not okay. Like it's not acceptable. Follow us at the lavender pod. Anyway, so the meme that Ruby sent, uh, was, is from the at themcell dot pill. And the initial one that they sent was, or the first one they sent was a text post that says, the truth is that identity is constantly evolving, but I noticed that a lot of people do not allow their identities to expand because they really want to disprove the quote, it's just a phase quote argument that homophobes and transphobes make. And of course that makes sense. A lot of people feel guilty separating themselves from labels they have clung onto because if they change it, they will feel like they've been faking their identity rather than being in a period of growth. Um, And the caption says I've gone from being bisexual, to being a lesbian, to just being queer, to being non-binary, being a boy, being a girl, being gender fluid, being agender, and there's literally no issue with that. The only truth behind these labels are the personal connection you have to them. They don't actually mean anything aside from what you want them to mean. The next post says... There lies a divide within a queer person's identity between what is real and the aesthetics that encompass queerness. All the labels, the flags, the stereotypes that come with queer identities are internalized and begin to blend in with the self. We create stylized versions of ourselves to be queer the right way, to be accepted through the standards of validity. We create personas that coincide with the larger ideas of what is acceptable in queerness. Identity is a means to code. So those are the takes that she sent and Ruhi says I just want to know what's your opinion on this by the way I love your podcast thank you so much so yeah um what are your your all's initial response to this sort of like idea
2: I think the first take is it's not inclusive I think it, it, it it can apply to some individuals but it it's not um it's not like an umbrella thing you can't really say that everyone has fluid identities or everyone can go through phases where they would just uh i guess explore their identities or explore their sexualities and labels and stuff like that because some people are certain of their identity or their or, or the label that they're using and it feels more like them it feels like they're in their skin and like as for me, I I did go through like parts in my life where I would start uh, using different labels. I would try to just feel more comfortable uh, using certain labels to the point where I would just uh, you know completely avoid avoid labels, and then I just found myself. I just found myself in, in lesbianism and it, it just became very solid and substantial for me. And I don't think I've ever budged from that point on because it did feel like me. So saying that it is fluid for everyone is is not true. It is fluid for a lot of people. It is fluid for some individuals who, um, I guess, find pleasure in exploring their identities and finding more about themselves. But it's not necessarily uh, I guess factual for everyone.
1: I I kind of had like a similar reaction. I think for me, well, Sunny, we both talked about our high school bisexual eras before. Yeah. Um <laughs> that we're a lesbian. So but I think for me I don't find that as necessarily being fluid. I think I find it more well When I was in my bisexual era, I definitely put off fully accepting that as a lesbian to combat the bisexuality is just a phase or like bisexuals don't exist argument kind of thing because I obviously don't believe in that and that's not true. But then also knowing that I wasn't and not saying anything also was uncomfortable. Um, Even though at the end of the day, when I did come out as a lesbian like no one cared <laughs> at all yeah. so there's also like I think a difference between how we expect or or, or what we predict people's reactions so to us changing our labels is going like what reaction is going to spark versus what actually happens for some people so I thought it was going to be a much bigger bigger deal than it was um in terms of, in terms of the second one about the divide within a queer person's identity um, and what's aesthetics and what's actually the reality. I think that definitely shows itself more with like online discourse and the continual like rehashing of things that don't affect queer people's lives in yeah. real life versus what people decide to talk about online. Yeah. And I think in that way, there's definitely a divide in, in in, that and in our focus and in what stances we as humans and as queer people, like, take is, like, is this something that actually affects yeah. real queer people's lives or is this something that you're just talking to? Yeah. Talk. Yeah. And I think that's more of a divide yeah. than rather, like, oh, is this outfit gay enough today? I don't really think that. I think me as a lesbian, I'm wearing an outfit. Therefore, it is a lesbian outfit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also the caption part where the poster said, "Um, the only truth behind these labels are the personal connection you have to them. They don't actually mean anything aside from what you want them to mean.
2: Oh, I didn't like that.
0: I did not like that. I think
2: that... Yeah, neither did I.
0: I think labels and identities are they're important beyond your personal connection to them because your identity is inherently political and the political sort of agendas that you take on with those identities are are important. And in fact, like, it's part of what it means to be in a community. And when you identify as a lesbian or when you identify as trans or when you identify as whatever, like, the thing is, is that within the hierarchy of how patriarchy and white supremacy, etc., work, like, you, like, there are pe- people's pe- people's axes of oppression that you live on, that you exist upon. Um, it, it, it means that there are going to be different priorities and the priorities are going to have to be, like, within LGBT struggles, like, I think ha- centering trans people and centering lesbians is so important because trans people and lesbians are impacted by every intersection of patriarchy and cis-heterosexism in ways that like gay men and like cis bisexual people and you know, like in ways that are so different and what like within any sort of queer liberation struggle the people who face the most of whatever axes of oppression exists like should be who is centered whether that like especially Especially people of color, especially third world people, you know, like it's it's really important in the same way that my like my nationality and my ethnicity, my, um, my my identities in those ways. It's not just about my personal connection to what it means for me to be Chinese. It is what it means for Chinese people to me to be Chinese. What is our history? What is our struggle? What is our what are our goals and how do we achieve them? Um, and I think it's really not Materialist, it's really like anti-Marxist and not, like really not in line with dialectical materialism to Sort of align identity as to one of these things that is simply personal and and individualistic because your identity is not individualistic. No one is an individual in that way. Everyone is connected by who they are. Like that's that's a thing. We as people are not individual entities. We all need other people. And the other people who make up our communities and the other people who who share our identities, our views, are those that we struggle with, that we are in community with, that we like it's that is so important. It is not individualism. It is it is collectivism. It is it is community and that is what these identities even that's why these identities even matter in the first place, I think.
1: Well, it reminded me of the other night when I went on a bit of a rabbit hole on the bi-lesbian uh, urban dictionary definitions with you on FaceTime. And the first two are are jokes. They, they don't take it seriously. I highly recommend reading the first two definitions of bi-lesbian urban dictionary <laughs> because <laughs> it's a tickle. It really is a hoot. But once we go beneath them, there are people who actually try to write genuine and sincere definitions of what it means to be a bi-lesbian. Which we don't hear. I I hope Yeah. I hope you hear the sarcasm in the air quotes with this. But in like one of them that's trying to be sincere is like it ultimately is whatever you want it to be like each bi lesbian gets to say what that means. And the thing is that like no, because both of those words have a distinct and particular meaning and history. And there are parts of them that cannot coexist because bisexuality is a sexuality that includes men. And lesbianism is a sexuality that purposefully and explicitly excludes men. so to say that you know one's identity, especially in terms of using it to communicate with other people or to find community just means whatever you want it to mean it's a very it, it's a historical and it's a very slippery slope of if that is your philosophy for this. what what are your philosophies on like use of words and identifying language and other spheres? Um, Because like gender and sexuality, these are ways that you find, like you said, people that you struggle with, that you live with, that you have, you know, this feeling of, of community, this sense of community, but if that's not your community, and you are either appropriating the language of something that you do not belong to, that can have detrimental effects in other areas outside of just your gender and sexuality.
2: I I think there, my issue, like, essentially with bi-lesbianism, is that other than the fact that it's a circle, as you had mentioned, I think that there is no set of ideologies or... Uh, I guess, stilts for this sexuality or this microcosm that they've created for themselves. It's that they have made it more open for people to, I guess, express themselves the way they want to. And that is just completely different from being a lesbian or different from being bisexual, because being lesbian is ultimately excluding men and being bisexual includes men. And that, that is the difference between the two. That is the difference between each sexuality has its own, I guess, set of um, ideologies. It's it feels like it feels someone is just bored of being one thing and wants to create something else out of two things, and it just it it it's like redefining something linguistically. And it's just linguistically wrong. It, it it's it feels like it feels like someone who doesn't understand the history of something or doesn't understand the struggles and uh, the stories that have taken place. Uh, it it feels like they just they wanted to create something out of nothing because the LGBT community is already struggling from. Uh, outside scrutiny, it feels like there's just a bit of, I guess, uh, you could say tranquility at times. So there's, there's these people who try to stare shit up and they would just, this is how the idea of bi-lesbianism was derived because logically, logically, uh, when you sit down and you start reading these things, especially on Twitter and you start reading these takes of, of about people describing what bi lesbianism is to them, you sit down and you start thinking to yourself, what the hell are these people talking about? Because it it's just like it it's like a complete oxymoron because there's absolutely no correlation between bi and lesbian. So it it doesn't make any sense. And it's historically wrong, and it's also linguistically wrong. So it just feels like someone who's trying to create something out of nothing.
1: Yeah. And I feel like um, also with that, it's like, especially because for most people who are defending by lesbianism are talking about bisexual women because they understand that men cannot be lesbian. So if the goal in using this is to communicate that you are someone who's bisexual who prefers to date women or is looking specifically for an LWL or L no WLW relationship, then like the label bisexual already includes that and the identity of sapphic and sapphism already includes that. There is no need to try and combine something. And also, Sunny and I have talked about, just between each other, about how the downfall or one of the parts of the things that is like the downfall of people not understanding what lesbianism actually is, is seeing it as women or non-men who love women and other non-men and do not see it as the exclusion of men from a sexuality because I think, well, even we've talked about like, the clarification of girlhood and very intimate friendships between people. It's a lot easier and less, there's less at stake for women admitting that they love each other or can hold space for loving other women. But when you ask someone, Point blank, do you like men? That is a much more difficult question for people to grapple with, but it is not a difficult question for either one, like gay men, people who, yes, in fact, do love other men, and lesbians who identify with with an identity with a label within their own experience, um, with something that excludes men completely, and. Um, in the terms of romantic and sexual attraction and that is like a very important distinction especially in patriarchy where the ability to relate to men in that sphere the ability to hold sexual power over men um is a, a form of of currency and allows for a form of social mobility that lesbians and trans lesbians do not have, um, it's very important to be very clear and explicit in what those words mean. And so not saying that this hot take is necessarily saying that lesbianism doesn't have a set definition, but putting that kind of language into the conversation about what does queerness mean? What does fluidity mean within queerness? how do we use the language that we use to identify ourselves it's very clear to uh, be explicit when talking about what one's journey within the self is and what it means to be a part of a community and what communities are you a part of and what do the words that you use to communicate that mean um so it's like it's like you know i get not want to Trying to tell people to not feel guilty about maybe coming out as one thing and then later realizing that that's not their identity and they want to use a different label. As someone who has used multiple labels before, I get why it's nice to send out reassurance. But in terms of like this being who's entire take, I'm not. I'm not super hot on. But that's my closing remarks. Does anyone else have closing remarks on these hot takes? I feel like a
0: lot of these, that sort of, this sort of specific hot take, it's really lesbophobic Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of the time. The idea that, like, Mm -hmm. no, don't understand, all identity is fluid, nothing is valid unless you personally identify with it. No. No, that's not true. (laughs) That is just not true. And also, like, I know so many people who have identified as lesbians and then identified as trans men who are exclusively into men or people who identified as lesbians and are now like bisexual trans men. Like so many, or people who identified as bi and are now lesbians. Like there are so many people that I that I personally in real life know and am friends with because unlike y'all, I go outside. Like <laughs> the, the reality is, is that people like, and there are so many people who thought they were like straight men who are lesbians. Like the thing is, is that people like, y'all y'all really just do not use any sort of critical thinking skill within this within this sort of quote-unquote queer discourse community whatever bullshit you just kind of use the rhetoric of No, everything just has to do with your personal identity and how you feel individually um to try to to try to not have to have these discussions and think critically about your not only your identity but what that means for other people like y'all just don't want to think you don't want to use your brain cells (laughs) is what's really going on here in my opinion that's correct (laughs) <laughs> honestly,
2: honestly, also, it feels like it's countering most, like, I, the things that you hear from people talking about, like, bi-lesbianism or talking about fluidity and sexuality and gender and how it's fluid for everyone, it's always, it, most of the time, it's coming from leftists and it just feels, it, it, it's countering the ideologies that they're supposed to believe in. So if you as an, if you as an individual believe in collectivism, why are you why are you endorsing individualism it feels it just feels counterproductive and it feels like they're just they're just kind of combating the thing that they're fighting for they're supposedly uh, standing up for so when you're saying that you for example, you believe that bi lesbianism is valid because it is However someone, however someone defines it or however someone, uh, I guess, sees himself in. Um, it's like saying fuck you to the whole entire lesbian community and looking at a few individuals who have absolutely no idea what, gen- what gender or queer theory says, or what the history of lesbianism or uh, trans history, for example, It just feels like someone found a few odd one out and it just, it kind of like went with the flow and people started following it, not because it's right, but because it just, it's stirring shit up.
0: Yeah, for sure. And also something I've seen in like like my TikTok comments sometimes, which by the way, I hit 10K like last night and was able to apply for like the creator fund or whatever. Oh, congrats. I know, right? Hopefully. Oh that-
2: congrats. Thank you. That will
0: <laughs> allow us to make money so we can get microphones. Is what I'm
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Please 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 sign up her. for our Patreon even at like the lowest tier yeah. so that we can get, get
0: <laughs> microphones. I know you bitches are begging. I begging pleading. Coffee. I know you buy a five dollar coffee every goddamn day. You can send five dollars a month to enable us uh to talk our shit at higher quality listen
1: exactly if you want to hear us talk about how lesbianism is correct and how lesbians and trans people are the best people on earth at exactly at a higher quality please uh go to our patreon and support
0: us indeed exactly Um, one last thought before we move on to other things i think like something that was was interesting is one of the comments in my TikTok was like, no, this is so, there are by people who don't like men and they only like women and non-binary people and like trans people. I'm like, mm, I, I think you need to have That's a- That's
1: good- still giving lesbophobia then.
0: Exactly. And it's also just like, yeah. like, oh, as a lesbian, I don't actually believe, or I, no, no, as a bisexual, I don't, I'm not like attracted to men, but I'm not just attracted to women. So I think, so I'm a bisexual. And it's like, no, 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 no you don't understand what any of these things mean you don't get what bisexuality is nor do you understand what nor do you understand what lesbianism is because bisexuality um ultimately like is not about gender really like like in in many in terms of sexual attraction like you're just when you're bisexual you're just sexually attracted to anyone it's not i mean regardless of gender like it's not about I like men and women, or I like a binary of women and people who aren't men. Or you know, it's it doesn't have it's not like that. Like, but but if you're if your sexuality explicitly excludes men, come on now, let's let's do some thinking. You know,
1: <sighs> let's crack open that lesbian master doc. <laughs> Literally, and that's so who also. That,
2: I was gonna say that's why it's so much easier for people to come to terms that they like women than the fact that they don't like men. Like when you start, like when you start, like I remember when I was twelve, I think, and I was like, it was like my my gay awakening, and I I started, I started thinking to myself, oh, I like women, but I never, never really put intensive thought into the fact whether I like men or not, and it just kind of four or five years until I had to figure out and settle and settle, uh, for once and all with lesbianism because it felt like me, it felt more. Like something that I want and something that I feel more comfortable in, because I do not see myself in with a man. I don't feel comfortable sharing uh, romantic feelings or sexual uh, intercourse with a man. It just feels wrong. So the the idea that um, the idea that uh, bisexuality can be only, as you said, uh, on your TikTok page that it's just women and non-binary it's literally just lesbianism because the coming to terms of the fact that you do not like men is such a tough task and I don't think people understand just how hard it is so uh, I mean there are some there's some coats to crack the but you'll yeah. get there someday sometime
0: yeah for sure and it's also like It's also because, like, to be honest, um, when people are socialized as women, like, when you're socialized as a woman from childhood on, liking men is so integral to that. So if you're attached to your identity as a woman or you've never been able to really question that in any meaningful way, then, of course, like, it's a default that you like men in fact even for straight dudes it's a fucking default that you like men it's a default that you are that you are doing everything to appeal to that like that's why so many gym bros get mad when women are like we don't like guys who are super fucking buff that's not that's not inherently attractive to us uh you're appealing Mm. to what you think women like because you like men who Look like that you like men exactly who, <laughs> who, who are buff and strong and whatever but to be honest lots of women are not fully into that even if they are especially women who like men you know what i mean like come on now come on now <laughs> uh. well, there was this veins popping out <laughs> yeah literally i mean when i thought i was attracted to men i was always like mm, i don't really get why you guys like all these dudes because they just kind of look the same to me I mean, exactly. um. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. I can't
2: tell some dudes apart. It's kind of gross. Every
0: Chris (laughs) in Hollywood is the fucking same to me. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: someone who really needs to take a, a long sit and think about is men the default, or and they actually don't like men, or maybe they do like men, even though I definitely know that they don't, and that is. Uh, Taylor Swift. Shana, <laughs> good job good job good job good job uh and this is what happens when you are a listener of the podcast you know you have big brains <laughs> <Yeah>. like that
0: <laughs> so um that with the lesbian master dog hmm, who's doing that yeah yeah <laughs> yes, I uh, this week i, I am
2: for the lesbian the lesbian master doc but she never replied so i'm <laughs> guessing she did a few deep diving into the master doc hopefully <laughs>
1: <laughs> this week i'm diagnosing shona from the show this way up mm-hmm. with lesbianism and with the homework yes a fictional character but with the task of reading the lesbian master doc because <laughs> season three better be a whole lot fucking different um, so I'm going to head us into the second part of the podcast where we talk about a shared media that typically Sunny and I watch, but since have has this week, we all re-watched it. Nora introduced me to the show called This Way Up, created and written by Ashling B. And you can watch it on Hulu or various places at your disposal. And... Um, <laughs> and uh it's a british but she's irish um situational comedy about a woman played by ashlyn b who is kind of recovering from a mental breakdown has several mental illnesses and it really follows i'd say the primary relationship is between her and her sister but uh Anya, Ashling's character, is the main character, and the sister is named Shona, who is played by Sharon Horrigan, Again. and did I say it wrong?
2: No, no, I I I was just oh, adding, yeah. I thought you forgot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, 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 uh, <laughs> you're, I mean, your spouse, really, I just exactly. have a brief life. So, anyways, we're going to get into talking about the sitcom. Uh, Sunny,
0: did you finish it? Did you finish season two? Uh, no, I, I'm on, like, episode two of season two. But, listen, me watching okay. shows is – it's it's an uphill battle. It's a constant yeah. struggle. It's something that – like, I have started so many shows I haven't finished. I don't even start that many shows in the first place. You know this. And, plus, I think last episode you recommended – was it the first episode or two episodes ago? you had recommended the show to me over our recommendations yeah album, the podcast um yeah and so I did start I finished season one and I liked it I I cried at which episode I forgot maybe episode maybe four or five or something like that um because I thought that oh spoilers we're gonna be talking about spoilers so if you haven't seen the show oh, yeah but
1: Spoil- this is also for context uh-huh. each season is only three hours long The whole show out thus far is six hours so <laughs> it's not a huge time
2: yeah. in our employment you area. like you can literally sit down and finish it in one sitting like the whole thing not even just like mm-hmm. super funny could finish the whole thing yeah of course and it's it's really funny and it's fast-paced so for people with um adhd add it's really good there's like a lot of shifting around the, 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 uh, the events, they change up a lot. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good show for neurodivergent people. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And plus the main character is super mentally ill, like so mentally ill. She, she desperately. Very mm-hmm. much. Helped. Well, I think what made me really cry was when she and her sister are having this conversation where her sister is like, I just don't want you to kill yourself like, you don't understand. If you, like, if you die, like, if you want to be dead so bad, you don't understand the impact that that has on so many people around you, because so many people love you. Um, And that just so, so very much resonated with me, because in the past four to five years of my life, every single year, I've had someone that is in my community commit suicide. Um, And every single time, it's, it's a fucking blow like it just it, it even if in all of these cases i was never very close with any of these people but like it's still like there's still people that i think about nearly every day because they're no longer here and that is just something that like I, I, you can never get over like that's never and i mean and also because when i'm in my monthly suicidal spiral like i think having having someone having characters who are interacting with each other and one of them being so, so, clear, like, has so much care for, like, Shona cares so much about Anya. And even if their interactions feel, are so inherently, like, comedic and flippant and dismissive, there's an underlying current of, like, just love that is unconditional and unending. And it was just so beautiful to see. And that made me so, that made me very emotional, but also made cancer, so. I cry a lot at media. Not in real life. In real life, cancer moon here. Something is, bad. something is really fucking bad. Anyway, <laughs> Nora, what did you say?
2: I said I'm a cancer moon. Yeah, I have a cancer moon, so I can't relate <laughs> to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surrounded
0: by cancer <laughs> placements. Yeah, Someone no, get no, me no, out! Get me out! Taylor Swift <laughs> has a cancer moon. My mom has a cancer moon oh my mom okay let me let me t- t- talk about this for a second my mom okay. is a Sagittarius Cancer Moon Scorpio Rising Capricorn Mercury that is Taylor Swift's placements as well so I need mental health like us like we, we need we me and Anya we desperately need a therapist who is good And we do see, I think in the show, we do see some snippets of her communicating with, like, a mental health professional and being like, hmm, what do I do? I feel so sad. But there are also moments where Shona is like, Shona's like, Anya, you act like you're the only person in the world that has ever been sad or mentally ill or unwell. Um, And I think, like, that also really resonated with me because... I think in a lot of also do that sometimes. <laughs> Act like on the... Well, no, I don't think... It's just... The beginning cool. of our friendship,
1: Sunny would tell stories or describe feelings that they have that you would present as, like, novel being the first time anyone <laughs> had ever explained that in the world. And I'm like, Sunny, other people have like relationships with their parents or siblings or like other things like it would be something that like i would have also experienced like 10 times but you'd be like no this has never happened before ever, <laughs> Well,
0: it's like, yeah. this has happened it didn't happen before with that specific person so so now what
1: <laughs> because <laughs> one time i got angry and that has never happened to anyone ever
0: No, I've never heard of that before never never no and also it's like because all my friends are also deeply mentally unwell like like, I mean I I think you kind of have to be if you're queer it's kind of comes with the territory like I Mm. (laughs) queerness is not a mental illness but it doesn't it it comes it's a parallel it's a parallel path when you're walking on the It's room.
1: kind of like being a lesbian and hating men. Like, if you hate men, you're not going to be a lesbian.
0: But if you're a lesbian and you don't hate men. Or at least, not even just hate men, but like, like at least feel some sort of, eh, They're just, there's vitriol. this. Like, whatever. Whatever. Whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh. that's that's not being angry at men. Anyways, let's get to the, get yeah. to the meme potatoes. What, what were you saying?
0: I don't remember. What are your thoughts on this show? I feel like I've been explaining my opinions but and my takeaways, but I haven't really heard from y'all.
2: Nor you can go
0: because um, you introduced
1: me to the show. I,
2: I have so many uh, mixed feelings about the show, especially after season two, and I think Ren can, uh, they can agree with this one. I feel like there were so many gaps to fill in season two and it was just, it it felt so messy. There was not, it didn't feel like it was going in a, in a straight line, but I mean, oftentimes comedies are not supposed to be, uh, linear. I don't really think that you're supposed to have like a, yeah, they're not supposed to have like a, like a solid story. It's supposed to be just fun and something entertaining to watch, but, it felt to me like it was, uh, it was just too much of that, um, and it it didn't handle a lot of a lot of issues. Um, uh, Ashlyn did a poor job in season two. Honestly, there were a few uh, there were a few jokes that were thrown here and there that were, um, I guess just anti-climactic because, because like, why would you make an ableist joke as an attempt to be funny? And why would you, for example, like, I guess tie um, womanhood with uh, having a womb or just these, these uh, things that we're Mm -hmm. used to hearing in society that are, um, they're just veiled transphobia, homophobia, ableism, you know, those it just it, it felt like there were so many things thrown here and there that were uh, unnecessary. But my biggest issue of the last season was the way Ashlyn handled Shona as a character and as a lesbian dealing with compet, because I said so. But um it felt like there were the elements of being a lesbian dealing with compet was it they were all there it was perfectly uh it was perfectly ready to offer in season two like season one was perfect it was the perfect buildup for a lesbian a middle-aged lesbian who's coming to terms of her lesbianism that she uh she's doing everything to cater to her lover's need who is a man um she feels the need to appeal to him she feels the need that Everything she does has to align with him, align with his values. At first, she starts off as, uh, as wanting to be childless for her for the rest of her life. And she doesn't believe in marriage. She doesn't want to get married. But then after a while, she finds out that she, uh, that her husband uh, proposes and she accepts, which is against her morals or against uh, her traditions as, a, as an individual. And then she decides that she changed her mind and that she, she might want want to have a child, which is also against what she believes in. And it just felt so out of character that it it, it just, it kind of ruined what was being built up to, to cater to lesbianism. And for me, it, it just, it was so perfectly well done at the beginning. And then it just kept falling apart season two until we reached the part where uh, I think in episode five or episode six of season two, where she has this conversation with Charlotte who is the, the woman she had an affair with. And there is no sense of, um, you don't feel like Shona is is willing to show her feelings or is willing to admit to herself that she was or she is the woman. It's just like she's trying to prove to herself that the the love is from one side and it's unrequited, and that's not true because the whole season, every scene of Shona that we'd seen throughout season two was her being, I guess, fidgety. She was shifting around. She was always thinking about uh, the affair between her and Charlotte, and then just ending the season with Shona. I guess allegedly being uh, over with this whole thing and moving on is just—it's—it's just—it's so unnatural. It feels—it feels like this does not uh, follow with the pretense of order that the, the the show is following. So I have like so many issues, but I think this is like my main problem with the show is. If you want to start, uh, if you want to start a queer story, regardless of what it is, regardless if it was about lesbianism, bisexual woman, um, pansexuality, a gay man, you have to understand that there is an audience that is anticipating, and for you to just, I guess, bait them in and then take something very precious away from them, I have an issue with that. But um, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping, season three. Uh, Ashlyn uh, patches things up and takes a different route, which I'm not very hopeful, and I'm not very, uh, I'm not exactly sure of. But we're we're still there's still a small, tiny hint of hope that I'm clinging to that I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. But yeah,
1: yeah, we. I mean, I agree with the, i really okay okay let me collect my thoughts one i want to re-watch the show because i did what first of all i watched season one i was very very tired like lately at night so i don't remember actually no i remember season one i don't remember season two i started season two after like a 10-hour work day and so i've forgotten most of it except for like like i know the plot points are but i don't i don't have it ingrained in my breath like, in, in my brain, in my brain, like I do with other pieces of media, where I can like replay it in my mind at 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 will. Um, so I'd like to rewatch it and also watch it with a more specific and critical lens because <laughs> uh, I. Um, I, when I watched season two, I, I felt like I was rushing to see it because I was just watching to collect Shona and Charlotte scenes that never came and to, like, get pieces of them. And so I was really disregarding other other parts of the show. One thing that I do really like about the show that I think is different from the other British shows, particularly British comedies that I've seen in the past, is that um but i mean this show isn't absolved from the side there i'm gonna get into the point and i'm gonna talk about why i think the show does a good job and why it doesn't do a good job at this i think in so many of the other british shows that i have watched they use um black people in the show as accessories or they are like people walking in the streets or in Fleabag, like, one of the only Black people that we've seen that, which, by the way, Fleabag is one of my favorite shows, for the listeners, if you don't know. I'm I'm not here to drag Fleabag. I love it. I think it's perfect. But, that doesn't change the fact that, like, one of the only few Black people that we see in this show is a guy who comes into Fleabag's shop just to use the electricity and he doesn't end up buying anything, and, like, every main character, every person that's line in the show is white, which, like, it's British TV. I'm not gonna say that Fleabag is like the poster show for racism in British TV because that's just not the truth. But one thing that I do like about This Way Up is that it does, the Black characters are more well-rounded. They're not main characters, but also they do serve an important role in Anya's life and we see them as a very healthy support system and a and uh, another form of family that's different than her relationship to Shona, which I appreciate. And especially, I really want to rewatch the episode in season two where they talk about the, um, the, well, the black people who live in England, but specifically the people from the Windrush era, which was a program in the 70s where Britain paid or offered people who are living in Jamaica to come to. England it might have been specifically London to do work and that they were considered British citizens because they're still a part of the commonwealth and then essentially revoked their citizenship and started uh they're basically treated as undocumented immigrants even though they were told that they were in fact British citizens and then political history about the wind rush air that I don't know that much about, so I'm just going to stop it there. But I think even bringing that up, that's just like a piece of British history that is that has just started to come back to the public sphere. Um, And so I think putting that, using her platform to bring attention to that, it was interesting, but ultimately those scenes also served to further a romantic plot line between Anya and her Male partner, Uh, so it also ended up taking a turn where I'm just like, I don't know how beneficial this setting is for using this to further that plot point. Um, but anyways, I digress. So, there's elements of the show that I think are good and some that I think are questionable. Um, I also have my particular beefs with British feminism, British white feminism in particular. So, to hark on the show for that, I think is like putting it in a vacuum separate from the feminist rhetoric that Ashling and uh, Sharon would have like just been conditioned in hearing and thus repeating. Uh, So like that would also just be more tied into my beef with white British feminism than it is with the show in particular. One thing though I think is that because the show is so short And it does kind of move from event to event at a pretty quick pace. I don't really see each season. I like something that is going to have a beginning and end because I definitely think that hopefully, I think if we get a third season that isn't with the intention that season two is supposed to be the last season, I definitely think there's more to the story. So my frustration with how, shona and charlotte were treated in season two i'm more of like okay we're still in the exposition of this story this is not we're not anywhere close to what ends up being shona and charlotte's whole story and i definitely see a more evolution um and i don't know i have differed i think with only it being a three-hour season and Shona getting as little amount of screen time in season two as she did, I I, I think it was... It's not good, because I want to see Shona and Charlotte together, but I, I don't think it was bad unless it just doesn't go anywhere from here. Like, feel like yeah. this is a good yeah, I got setup. It. I mean, I, I have hope In Ashling's writing abilities, I think she's a funny writer. I think she's talented, I think she's creative. I think if she does take the time, like you said, to invest in truly figuring out what she wants to do with Shona as either lesbian representation or bisexual representation or pansexual representation, wherever she ends up going with Shona as a character, I hope that she invests time in like being critical and um like purposeful in that way but oh, I, I think okay. it's a, a good setup anyway that was long-winded but that was my overall reaction
2: I, think I get what you're saying with the, the whole like timeline being a bit like Jonah and her not being exactly the main character in the show are um, not necessarily good, but they can fill in some gaps. But um, I just feel like if you heard something, you have to understand that you started and opened a door that you need to close eventually. And it just does not feel like it's going to be closed anytime soon because you, as, as a, a writer, you have to have insight and you have to have this... Um, wide intersection on on lgbt and especially something as isolated and unique as lesbianism you have to understand that there are experiences that are uh very unique that you need to delve into within your show if you're going to open that door so it it, it feels like when she started a show like when she started the whole Shona Charlotte uh storyline uh she opened a door that is very um experimental it feels like if you do not know what you're doing you are messing up representation and you're you're putting a whole audience to you're setting them up for failure And it, 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 like, for me, I think that if she really didn't know that she was writing a story about combat, that it was not the intention, I think that she should listen to the audience that are uh, lesbians and take some ideas and I guess follow up with it. But um, I get that in general, I honestly like with the whole office scene that we got like that was all that was like three seconds but it was fulfilling I have to say um and there were like hints here and there that Shona is still in love with Charlotte and that there is still hope for it but it it just feels like she's stretching the whole catering to male validation and it's like it's it's not pleasing my lesbian self. And it's making me, it's shifting my gears, and I don't know if I can handle any more fuck ups for season three. <laughs> so, I really, I do love Ashling's writing. I do love how she handles a lot of the comedy, and I think she's a creative writer. I think she and Phoebe Waller-Bridge they're actually they're actually friends. I think they're on the same um altitude where they they have the same understanding of of yeah kind of, the
0: of writing or yeah vibes energy,
2: yeah definitely, and it's just it it's they're they're on the same um wavelength and yeah, for sure. i i can I can see how she can do a lot with season three, but I really hope that she takes the advantage and she does uh she does the writing that I'm hoping for, which is, I mean, honestly, I, I, I would enjoy anything from Ashling. but, um, precisely, I need lesbian Shona, please, Ashling. if you're listening to this, please, please, leave the lesbians.
1: (laughs) Also, one thing that I just realized in, while talking, is that one, we do know that Charlotte ended up leaving her male partner that she had in season one, that is different. So I think there's like two versions of what it means to be kind of like a middle-aged lesbian and having been with a male partner happening at the same time. The problem is, is that we didn't see a lot of Charlotte in season two. In fact, we see like so little of Charlotte in season two. Because of that though, I wonder if that was because they were also filming because of like COVID restrictions and how many people were allowed to be on the set and I wonder what at the end of season one writing it before the pandemic what her outline and story arc was for these characters in season two and then with whatever restrictions they had especially because like in the beginning and I think around the time that they were filming uh Britain had really strict like quarantine rules in place. And so I wonder if having less amount of people on set, you know, Ashling being like the writer and producer and thus having the most screen time in season two has to do more with, okay, that cuts down on the number of people that need to be (laughs) at a TV studio that day, uh, because she can wear multiple hats versus, um, you know, Shona is already one of the primary characters and Charlotte wasn't a main character. And so is that why we didn't see her that much was to, you know, cut down on the number of days that, uh, the you know, the various actors and crew people would have to be on set that day. And so that also gives me, like, I would like to see what the original plans for season two were without the pandemic involved, especially because we start to see that storyline kind of creep in towards the end of season two. What was the plan if that didn't happen? And then that also gives me more hope for season three, because since that writing process and that filming process is gonna happen when, you know, more people are gonna be vaccinated, when the numbers are probably going to be lower than they were when they're making season two. What, you know, now that we, she'll be able to have a more robust cast and also just with the growing popularity of the show, you know, hopefully getting more funding or, you know, a bigger budget, like what are the other factors that will influence the time? How can she structure the show? You know, like the, the, I guess the more logistical side of what it means to make a show, which also makes me excited for season three. I'm nervous because I think the pandemic storyline is obviously going to come in because she started it at the end of season two. But for every other reason, I'm excited to see what season three brings for the characters now that hopefully we can see more of them together.
0: I think, I mean, since I haven't finished season two, I can't really give an entire holistic answer to some of the things that you brought up, but I can definitely see the way, like, honestly, the last scene I remember watching that, it, cause this is the thing, when I watch TV, when I get too embarrassed for the characters, I just have to pause and leave. And sometimes I then do other things and I can't, and I forget to come back or whatever. Um, and <laughs> so I think the scene that was really embarrassing for me to watch that I had to leave was when Shona is like, is like on a video call with <laughs> her fiance, and they're like, <laughs> and, she, and we can see her mind like flash back to the scenes where she's hooking up with um Charlotte, and mm-hmm. I like that's definitely the the element of the of the story for sure, um mm-hmm. and like i was just like so embarrassed for her like damn bae, like you're gonna marry this man and you can't you can't okay you so can't even like get off to him <laughs> literally, literally he's right there on your fucking screen and what are you thinking about ma'am what are you thinking about let's let's a woman, a woman. <laughs> and i think like well i don't is is ashling um queer like no no yeah not explicitly not
1: not, not not to the, to the public's knowledge at time of recording no yes yeah she's not known for being queer.
0: Yeah, and see, like, I think that's probably the issue, too, where she's, like, probably, sp- she's probably trying to draw on experiences she doesn't have or, like, situations that she's only heard of or imagined, like, secondhand. I get, you know what I mean? Like, I just think, I just think that there, there's something inaccurate about, like, what you guys were saying, there's something inaccurate about, her, about Shona abandoning her, Values in a lot of ways, and just kind of going forth with a lot of the things that she herself said she didn't want to do, or she wasn't interested in. I don't know. I also thought, in terms but of like,
1: also, yeah, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
0: In terms of like race and stuff, so many of the jokes in this show, being around Ashley or being around uh, Anya, kind of being just like <laughs> like a awkward white lady, like and especially like Irish in in Britain and her mm-hmm. sister's boyfriend being like I think Indian, right? Um Yeah. I think so. It was, sure, yeah. It was just Yeah, like, Vish is Indian. Okay, good. Um so I was kinda like, that is this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting the way this is being explored. I think it's funny, but I also think I'm like I'm like, hmm, what do you know, Ashley? What do you know? Exactly.
1: <laughs> well I think Vish is I wouldn't be surprised if he was inspired by maybe not inspired, but somewhat based off of the one British com- comedian who's also, I think, by the name of Vish. Hold on, let me let me look him up. the The guy that I'm thinking about, his name is Nish, and this character's name is Vish. Uh, uh, Nish Kumar. Who is a stand-up comedian and very much exists in the same space as Ashling. And so when I saw that character, it definitely made me think of mm-hmm. him. Not that necessarily Vish is a comedian as a character. Um, but I can see how like he definitely exists in that space like Phoebe Waller Bridge, Ashling B, Sharon Horgan. That that's uh like a circle of british writers he definitely occupies that space so i'm like hmm, that's like this writing or this character is probably taken from her consuming either his stand-up or conversations that she's had with him or something like that um and just being a fucking british comedy nerd uh for several years like i don't know this show the flaws of this show do not stand out to me as unique flaws of Ashling <laughs> as a single creative and more of just like these are the flaws of this genre and this uh space like in general yeah. like these are things that are also not being addressed in any yeah. other British
2: yeah
1: well or to any extent so I mean and I think yeah and I think, yeah, and some- I think like you know, as sad as it may be, she's kind of doing the best that I've seen. And there's still, but like other British sitcoms do not have lesbians or do not have any sapphic relationships that have any like significant presence on the shows. Um, they do not have uh, family type, you know, black characters that have their own personalities and names and relationships uh, in British sitcoms, you know, period. Uh, or that were seen as sexual, because probably the the next famous British sitcom character would be from uh, the IT crowd. And he's, like, seen as this kind of uh, definitely autistic-coded, asexual character, um, which is definitely not how the Black people in the show are presented. So, you know, like, there's uh you know, there's, there's flaws with the show, but I think to be like, oh, this is the only show that has this, or this is something that Ashley needs to address herself, like, yeah, it would be good if she broke out of the flaws of that genre and that space, like, you know, it, it doesn't absolve her of criticism, but, you know, it's like, she's definitely not the only one guilty of it, so,
2: yeah, I
0: guess. Yeah, like- I can say that. I I agree with Bren, I think. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. I also think, like, something that's interesting is how, like, in Dairy Girls, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes and, like, plot lines that, I think there's, like, similar things in terms of these, like, Irish young women not really, not really getting it, but, like, in a funny way, um, mm-hmm. and in a way that kind of pokes fun at how, you know, UK society even really works, and also, like, there's that, there's, a, of course, there's a lesbian character in, in Dairy Girls, but, yeah, it, it, but that's obviously not like integral to any to to the plot line in any like long term way. So I don't know.
1: we know that also only has two seasons and season three is coming out. And I hope that for season three we get more of Claire. Should, for for uh, podcast listeners, let us know if you want Sunny and I to rewatch Dairy Girls and talk about it on the podcast
0: that's no, fun. Because that's so- because in- the winter, me and Renaissance, well, mm-hmm. we would we would watch, watch it videos. every night. Every we would watch it together,
1: day. like we would, like have our FaceTime. Like we start FaceTiming at like six my time, seven or eight Sunny's time, and we like have our t- chats, do our homework, whatever, and like at the end of the night we'd be like, "So do you want to watch?" <laughs> <laughs> we watch it yeah. like for probably like two weeks. We watched it together. And Sonny would always fall asleep on FaceTime and then be like watching it. And then I'd be there and I'm like, mm, yeah, I guess I'll go to bed. And yeah. like, we like literally like an old married couple no, and, like they fall asleep on the couch watching, watching their show. That day. would be us. Yeah,
0: that's us on right. Dairy Derry Jones. For whatever piece of media is our current like fixation or long-term fixation. Like how with like folklore, happy folklore anniversary, whatever more. It's like, okay, let's Chris look.
1: Fleming. Watched Chris <laughs> Fleming to Watch- fall asleep <laughs> for seven <laughs> weeks. It was like Dairy Girls.
0: Oh my God! Strange. We watched
1: the same Strange Eons videos for five nights straight. Five nights, <laughs> like it's
0: <laughs> yeah. Houston, we have a problem. Literally, and the problem is mm-hmm. there's like the little phases of media. But I'm glad they line up in some points because it's it's just fun. It's fun to rewatch the same thing over and over. Well, we
1: also watched the same ASMR video like several <laughs> nights in a row like that also happened as well yeah
0: whatever it was
1: when because ahead of me in the time zones whenever would go to bed on zoom they would just share their screen yeah and would fall asleep on the zoom yeah and i'd just be there
0: watching <laughs> held hostage but i wouldn't have zoom i wouldn't
1: have yeah i wouldn't <laughs> have control? control over your screen so i'd be like okay
0: yeah and then when i woke up it. the next day like my computer would have shut off or whatever, and it's like your meeting ended abruptly. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the third part where we recommend media to each other? Yeah. I'm talking okay. about yeah. our media eras. Let's get into the recommendations. So true. Yeah, someone else go first, because I need to th- I need to think a little. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I need to do some brainstorming. <laughs> okay. Well. We put Renaissance on the spot desperately. Know, just
1: <laughs> fucking narrow it down. Hold on, I think I have one. I just need to check my letterbox to see what it is. Oh, 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 oh okay. I was gonna.
0: Uh,
2: hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna recommend it. So my recommendation. I already talked to Sunny about this but i recently watched Judas and the Black Messiah
2: which oh, yes. is the oh, yes. movie
1: about um Fred Hansen and the events that led to his untimely assassination and uh, just kind of really showing how how short his not only life but career and his organizing abilities and talents were just taken far too soon. I mean, if you were listening, you know that Sonny and I are, are communists and like real communists. <laughs> um, and <Yeah. laughs> and, uh, and you so, it. you know-
0: You could call you yeah. could say.
1: And so, you know, it, talking about the politics of the movie, obviously, you know, we don't have to get into, you, you can probably guess how Sunny and I feel about Brock, uh, Brock, oh my gosh, no, about Fred Hampton and, and the, the movie in, in that regard. However, a question that I brought to Sunny after is like, it's good, and there's a lot of like communist quotes and it's showing a communist icon, a black communist icon um, of like, you know, the US but it still somehow feels liberally, and I don't know how it's possible to do that. I mean, I do know how it's possible to do it, given the media machine, but it's it's a good movie if you're a communist. I recommend it. You will enjoy it. If you know the readings that are being quoted, if you if you are familiar with the historical era that it takes place in, it's really fun to watch if you are a communist who enjoys media Yeah, But if just like
0: ideas. a liberal coming in, like, what would you think? What are your yeah. thoughts be? But then, but then,
1: once you realize that people at the academy watched and liked this movie, they're like, hmm, why do you, as a rich white person who makes like millions of dollars watching silly little movies, think that this is for something that for you to enjoy?
0: Yeah, and that's, that's so, the like, this is, we're talking about this, is, that's the sort of like dichotomy, the paradox of consuming really good media within the current state that we live in. and Because a lot of the really good media is all about criticizing the state, criticizing the way things are. And then the people who enjoy it are in fact those who uphold the way things are.
1: This reminds me, oh my gosh, guys, also update. I'm finally like actually proper listening slash reading State and Revolution by Lenin. But it reminds me of Lenin, I can't remember if this is him quoting Marx or if this is a part of his analysis of Marx's quote, but saying that, um, like, acknowledging that there is class struggle or class divide is not inherently Marxist consciousness, but yeah. taking it a step further and that realizing that because there is class divide and class struggle, there must be a rev- an armed revolution by the proletariat to make a uh, working-class dictatorship um, that is what makes one a communist or, or a Marxist-Leninist. And I think that's what like Parasite and Judas and the Black Messiah are giving, that it's acknowledging class struggle yes. and class divide. Yes. But it takes, um, the responsibility is on, well, the collective, but also in this case, the audience, to then take those points, then to take those criticisms that the movies are presenting and be like, okay, so now we need to organize and have a revolution of, by, and for the proletariat um, and the working class people. If you're a liberal and you enjoy these movies, it's not really saying much, <laughs> but right, exactly. communists have fun watching these yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah, for
0: sure. Because I feel like a lot of media that kind of exists in that way when liberals engage with it, because it's analysis and it's criticism, and, like, if you're not using your brain, if you're not being a critical thinker, like, it, it, there are, you can enjoy it and not really take much away from it beyond what it made you feel in the moment. But I think that... Um, also, it's like art is a product of, like, you know, within the superstructure of, you know, the Marxist, like, analysis of the base and the superstructure and how they influence each other. Media is just the superstructure. In order for the base mm-hmm. to change, in order for the economic structures of the world to change, like, that, that's a whole different thing. You know, art cannot do that for you. Art can be, art can encourage it. Art can um, observe it. Art can reflect on it and criticize it. But it is not in itself the way that. A tool. It, yes. So, what are the other recommendations? Um, yeah, nor, do you have anything?
2: I do have one, but it's I. I actually just watched it today, but um, it's not anything revolutionary. It's not something that could change your <laughs> perception <laughs> of life right. or your perception of class, well, see, race, not right
0: And it's beautiful, exactly. And we have um, talked, really talked about Taylor Swift so. multiple times about every other episode. So, yeah, you know, who are we to talk <laughs> Yeah.
2: Um, hold on. Let me go on my letterbox because I don't remember the director. Just these me. letterbox
0: freaks, letterbox, <laughs>
2: Stan Twitter freaks. Okay. Um, it's a it's a two point nine film. It's it, it's rated two point nine the ratings, really which it just makes it, which just makes it better because I love shitty movies. But um, it's a show. It's a film called Nell, uh, nineteen ninety four directed by Michael Apted or Apted I don't know how to pronounce his name um it's a starring Jodie Foster Michael Apted A-T-T-E-D
0: um the movie title sorry
2: Nell N-E-L-L um it's a film um starring my one and only beloved Jodie Foster um I honestly like I enjoyed it just because it felt it fell true to its nature. It's a sh- it's basically about this this girl called Nell that they find her in the wild. Her mother has died, and she's she doesn't speak the language that um that is deliberate between people in the U.S. So they have to like they have to they stay with her for a while, three months, in uh, in a mission to to understand her and to uh, decode the language that she speaks in, and. Obviously, at the end, that they decode it, and it's just basically like it, it feels very authentic because um, they try to pull her to court, where they have to get, where they have to um, find a guardian. Um, but she she finds a way to express her needs, and that she is okay by herself in the woods, and that she um, she can take care of herself, and that. Um, It's not necessary, I guess, to be, uh, it's not necessary to be conventional, which is my main takeaway from the film is that you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to fit into those conventional standards and to those norms, especially set by Eurocentric and uh, Western um, figures you it, it it just it made me feel i just get, like i know this sounds ridiculous but it made me feel more palestinian because there there are so <laughs> many times where there's so many times where i want to express something but i don't know how to so i just kind of i jump back into my palestinianism and i have to like form a coherent thought just based off my palestinianism and this is how it felt in the movie mm-hmm. um where you would just, you would be able to express what you uh, what you feel or the emotions that are, uh, um, it just, and then it, you just use your own language. And although it's more, although I felt like there were some aspects of it that were uh, not necessarily ableist, but they were, it just felt like wrong. I don't know if it's even like canonically, ableist because there were just some um mannerisms that I felt like were uh I guess mimicked from autistic and just neurodivergent kids in general but it, the film in general it felt authentic and I know that it's like it, the ratings are so low but I personally whenever I see a film that is rated so uh, that like the the overall of it is low. I just, it catches my eye and I'm like, I have to watch this. This is camp and I have to watch this. So I was I was not wrong. It was good. It was really, really good. And um, I enjoyed it. I, I honestly really loved it. And I think I'm probably going to rewatch it really soon. And obviously Jodie Foster is an amazing performer. Everything she has done so far is an absolute, uh, stunner, and she just, uh, I love everything about her. Um, but yeah, so you should check it out sometime.
1: I was gonna ask, I forgot that we we're gonna join Recommend Desert Hearts because I oh, tried to get yeah. Sunny to oh watch it, and it was playing in Sunny's presence, and Sunny did not pay attention to the movie whatsoever. So, this is my Desert Hearts campaign. Yeah, uh,
2: you have to. I need to watch it. I've watched Desert Hearts probably more times than I've seen my own father, and I do not regret it.
0: <laughs> Priorities. Desert Hearts. Your dad. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: And, I for, well, I didn't force Sunny to put Desert Hearts in the thread that we made, but I, I was the reason why it was in the thread. So, Sunny it's time yeah. it's yeah. time to watch the movie also yeah. can I
2: can I recommend to both of you uh-huh. to read the book that it's based on desert of the heart oh, yeah um, oh, okay yeah
0: I'll definitely check is, that out I'll get to that soon it is the movie.
2: <laughs> it is an absolute like it's an absolute collapse <laughs> like it's just I I can't I don't even have a word for it because it's just I think it's like a hundred and 40, 100, no, one hundred and ninety pages, something like that. I don't know. I, I downloaded an EPUB, but um, the cover is so the, camp, exactly. Of it is the so camp. Of Everything the, the book,
0: yeah, because it's, it's it's a movie like promo that they use on. You know how when they did like Calling by Your Name, they just took the film cover or whatever. They do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those, and it looks pretty. Dope. There are a few
2: editions though. There are a few editions yeah, yeah, of the yeah. books. So. It's
0: whatever the one that I'm looking at right. The one that was published in two thousand five. Yeah, that was the one that, like, the most recent one, I think. So, right, right, right. Yeah. The most recent edition. So I'm going to recommend a book as well. And it's also a queer book, of course, duh. And lesbian, sapphic, et cetera. Um, and honestly, the reason why I was thinking about this was because someone messaged me on Instagram who, who watches my booktube videos asking me whether I had any similar recommendations to The Divines by Ellie Eaton and as you know on episode four of our first season we interviewed Ellie Eaton after we both read and adored The Divines and I was really thinking about it I was like damn like The Divines is such an is such a unique book like I, I don't really it, it's hard for me to recommend something that feels even parallel to it. But, and so I, I kind of asked them, like, you know, what what elements of the divines did you really appreciate the most? Like the fact that there was this sort of alternating perspective and like that twist at the end or the way, or was it more of like in how it was structured or was it more of like the themes of exploring like girlhood, queerness, womanhood, identity, figuring that all out. And they kind of responded that, yeah, they really enjoyed that element, like the queerness, the the girlhood, the exploration of womanhood. so one of my recommendations in regards to that was um, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Um, Disha Filia. And this is a short story collection. It's quite short. It's less than 200 pages as well. And The Secret Lives of Church Ladies is following a bunch of different characters who all kind of are in the same, like, vague community area because it's set in I think like contemporary modern day at this black church in the south Um, well not at the black church like community members who are within this like black church and the various people like all women and their perspectives on on the on their lives and growing up and their relationships with with people and stuff and like Some of the shorts, all the short stories, they come from so many different perspectives that I think are all fascinating and really beautifully done because they're all somewhat related to each other. Like, you'll see the perspective of someone who ends up being the daughter of someone else that you read from or the granddaughter of someone else that you read from. But they're also each structured so differently. Like, some of the standout ones I can think of is there's one short story that's kind of like structured as a list of rules um, from this woman who kind of gets off on cheating um on hanging on sleeping with men who are cheating on their wives so she has like a list of rules of what she expects from the guys who come to her to like specifically to like sleep with her right and that's one of the structure. and another structure of one of the short stories is like a diary entry but it's a diary entries that are kind of in conversation with each other because we see what um we see the diary entries of a teenage girl who's very clearly like a butch lesbian stud, very like kind of coming into her identity, and we see her journal entries, and then her grandmother's journal entries in response to these. And her grandmother is obviously like very like conservative and invested in Christianity, and is kind of being like, "What the hell? Why is this kid? Um, why is this kid thirsting over the pastor's wife or whatever? Like she like that, right?" And there's also a short story that really kind of changed my life called Peach Cobbler, and it's from the perspective of the daughter of the woman who sleeps with married men um and she she it's the story is about how her mother is very emotionally unavailable and just generally unavailable and the only time that her mom cooks is to make peach cobbler, but she doesn't make the peach cobbler for her daughter or herself. She doesn't even like peach cobbler. She just makes it for the pastor of the church who comes over every Saturday or Friday to eat it, eats the whole thing, and then they sleep together. And this girl, the girl, the daughter has been seeing this happen for years now, for years. Um, so we see that. And like we also see the perspective of a grown adult woman who's moved out of this and is now like in like a art teacher and the way that she comes to terms with understanding her own body and her sexuality and the way that she's supposed to romantically relate to other people when she meets um, another a man at this like a teacher's conference who shares very similar values with her and like the way that she has to unpack all of these internalized things about how she's supposed to feel about her body and like the way that like when she went to church as a girl and the way that her her family kind of was always like no you like you need to wear like a girdle and like a and like restrict yourself and you know kind of wear like modest clothes and like not and never like masturbate or whatever like a a range of things a range of the repression that comes with like Christianity and the conservatism of that versus her being an adult woman still dealing with that and having this really strained relationship with her mother like a lot of these short stories have a lot to do with these really complicated like family dynamics I think the first short story in the book is a, is uh formatted as a letter from a girl who is writing to um who is writing to her sister but it's a sister that she's never known because their father was like a deadbeat and um like based, had a bunch of different kids with a bunch of different women and kind of just abandoned them and so so the, the Our main character like the main character of the first short story she and her three sisters, all raised by the same woman, um even if they weren't all biologically related to her they're all they some of them are biologically related to her mom, some of them are biolog- biologically related to their dad, but it doesn't matter their family their siblings um and so there's a sister who they didn't even hear of the existence upon they didn't even know the existence of until um her until their father dies so their father dies and there's a funeral and she's writing a letter to this other sister that they've never met or even seen before being like hey so just wanted to let you know your dad is dead i don't know how involved he was in your life because he wasn't involved in ours it's like you know even even though we don't know you we you're our sister as well um uh, and we invite you into, like, our life, like, there's so, and, and there's so many other short short stories with uh, in that vein, like, and they're all so unique, and they all come from all these different, like, perspectives and, and understandings of the world and life, and it was just so engaging, and emotional but like written in a way that kind of reminded me of the divines where we're only seeing the perspective we're seeing a limited perspective because of the structure of the stories and the framework of the entire book but it just it works together so fucking well and it's just it's just phenomenal
2: well we'll have to read that we'll have to see it
0: check it out
1: before we wrap up i have a question have you read the very very short story titled girl by jamaica kincaid yes it reminded me of when you're talking about the one that was like the the list of rules yeah 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 um when when did when did this collection of short stories come out again
0: um september 1st 2020 so it's pretty recent
1: oh okay so it's new because the girl came out in 1978 so yeah, yeah, i was yeah.
0: wondering yeah, like th- this is very contemporary. It's set in contemporary times. Um, you, okay. You could, you could, like there is mentions of like phone calls and like emails and in like Zoom links or whatever in some of the stories, but th- a lot of them mm-hmm. kind of transcend time in the way that they are uh, just about the relationships of these girls with each other and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So recommendations so, for today.
1: Yeah, those are all those recommendations. I know last week I said that I was going to finally update the recommendations thread listen i haven't i it was thrusted into a triple employment era it just didn't happen this week yeah this week this week it'll happen. i will be updating the recommendations thread week. but also before i head out if you even want to see recommendation thread that i keep on postponing updating follow us on twitter at the lavender pod uh, and from there, you can also find us on Patreon, which is the Lavender Mess on Patreon. Please go there and sign up for one of the two years. We have a lot of goodies, and also it'll help us get microphones even faster.
0: Exactly. So
1: thank you, thank you, thank you for that. You can also follow me at Renaissance Marie on Instagram or Renaissance with an X for the first E on twitter and that is tagged in our twitter bio
0: and you can find and me on twitter me, um, oh wait
1: oh yeah oh and on youtube but i still haven't posted on so sorry but subscribe anyway
0: and sunny your promos uh so you can find me on twitter at a sunny same on youtube and sunny with a camera on instagram which is actually how we got our submission and for no today be- oh. yeah oh yeah also yeah if you have a submission that you want us to discuss on the podcast um, of course, you can. If you're a, P- a, tr- a Patreon a sub- subscriber, you can just message us there. But if you just want to find us on instagram or twitter whatever you can also email us at the lavender menace podcast at gmail.com we haven't gotten any emails in the past couple weeks so that's really sad so i need you guys to send us your flaming hot takes and links to tweets and tiktoks that we should discuss because it's really important for the culture for the community for Mm -hmm. you know exactly like yeah nor do you want to um promo yourself on anything (laughs)
2: yeah i honestly like i i i think i would just prefer to share my Twitter and that's it. My Twitter is at Abby Tally, which is basically a reference to Abigail and Tally from the World to Come. But um it's Abby Tally A B I T A L L I E. And yeah, you'll find me there. I am absolutely unhinged on Twitter. I share way too much. So if you <laughs> enjoy oversharing lesbians who have too much to whine about, then that is your place.
0: So,
1: I mean, yeah. you're talking to people who listen to this podcast, so
0: they that's, our, that's our entire audience, guaranteed.
1: Yeah, literally.
2: Yeah. A Palestinian lesbian who does not know anything outside the bounds of just whining, complaining, crying, <laughs> hating everything that has to do with capitalism. Yeah. Um, Touch, shitting about men exactly I enjoy hating it's just it it it, it kind of feeds my soul like every exactly. time I hate my soul just expands in size
0: yes exactly that's us too like we're all just hate like exactly. haters first we everything expect- else second
1: we <laughs> people don't we live the hater lifestyle we have we, haters exactly. in our
0: heart <laughs> exactly we're true oh. haters indeed yeah. but thank you
1: so much for being on the podcast. Yes, thank
0: you very, so very,
2: very much for it, yes. thank you thank you guys for having me. I feel like this is a cliche to say, but thank you <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fun like i I had so much fun and it's good, fun. like interesting. it's interesting yeah. to hear from people who are Oh, genius like it feels like I feel like <laughs> no for real like it, it it's like each each one of you guys is is unique in in their own way and it's it's like so it's so refreshing to hear from people who are first and foremost not white and um right. obviously <laughs> lesbian but um right but I, I, it's just like, you guys are absolutely like, everything you say, it's just so eloquent. And it, it feels like it's coming out of uh, a place of understanding rather than Ugh. just
0: spewing shit out. Right. But, um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank we you. enjoy oh my cool Thinking. We enjoy it. I think yeah. many of you cannot relate. And that's why yeah. we're even doing this. <laughs> it's really for the good Thank of you. you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> It's our collective gift to you. I feel so awkward when people compliment the podcast <laughs> in particular. But yeah. thank you very, very much. And yes, I think that the it. listeners are really going to enjoy hearing from you in this episode as well yes. with a special guest. And if yeah. more of our yeah. listeners um become super smart, sexy, hot and cool like our bestie here in the world, then maybe you'll also be invited. But uh, Nora has the number one spot. So everyone, keep up. Thank
2: you. So oh God. <laughs> you're
1: welcome. So with that, that is this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoy it. And we'll see you all next week and on our Patreon on Saturdays.
2: See,
0: ya. see you. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.